Welcome. I'm Lauren Ash, and you're listening to the Black Girl in Ohm podcast. Black Girl in Ohm exists to hold and catalyze healing within Black women around the world on their unique journeys towards wholeness. We support the necessary transformation, spiritual awakening, consciousness shifts, and intergenerational healing occurring within the diaspora. This podcast is a warm embrace, soothing realness, and conscious girl talk. Come into conversation with me and our spirit-centered guests. Let the journey begin. Hey, y'all. Hey, community. I want you to close your eyes and just picture a sisterhood that's filled with thousands of journeyers just like you, lifting one another up, spiritual teachers, thought leaders, wellness practitioners pouring into you with their insights. Open your eyes and you should probably head over to blackgirlhome.com because we have this community for you. The Circle sources our members with empowering guides, divinely ordained connections, and culturally aligned resources for you as you expand into your most authentic self. I'm so grateful that enrollment is open and it won't be for long, so be sure to head over to blackgirlnome.com and check out The Circle. I am so excited, per usual, (laughs) about (laughs) the conversation today. In particular, though, today, because I love talking about food, and we have Clancy Miller, a phenomenal author, a phenomenal chef, a phenomenal, just overall badass Black woman here on the show. Hey. Hey, I'm extremely (laughs) excited to talk with you. (laughs) We're both just like giggling because we, I don't know, we're excited, I guess. We're happy. We've known each other for a few years now. You've come to so many of my events. It's always been like such a pleasure to see you. And then we've also like, I feel like the universe has just been conspiring because we've also run into each other and running into each other in New York City is always something that to me, I take as a divine nod because there's way too many people there. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. It's definitely a wink from God. And I also feel like it shows how connections can strengthen over time. And it also shows how the world, and particularly, weirdly, sometimes New York City can be a village. Yes. The largest village. And a comforting one. Yeah, exactly. A very large, loud one. Yes. Sometimes it's really comforting, too. Yes. And it's funny because of how on brand running into each other that one time was because it was at Taranja. (laughs) Yes. Oh, my gosh. That was so great. That was a whole moment. You were like outside. I feel like I saw you looking at me outside. I was inside in the window, in their beautiful window. And you were like walking by like, is that you? Yes. (laughs) Yes. No, it was so great. I love that. And shout out to Fola Shade for Taranja. If if anyone in New York City or anyone heading to New York City hasn't headed uptown to check out the most amazing cuisine. Um, and it's within the Africa Center, right? Yes, within the yes. Africa Center, uptown, right next to Central Park. Yes. It's yes. so good. So, so good. So let's talk about how you are really out here for the culture. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> Well, I'm in the midst of building a magazine that is called For the Culture, and the whole purpose of this magazine is celebrating Black women in food and wine, and I'm extremely excited about this project. I feel like it's a calling, and I feel like it's building community in a way that is really exciting to me and I hope will be exciting for people involved. And yeah, it's a project I'm really excited about because I got my first job in food when I was 15. I was working as a dishwasher in a really cute gourmet store in my then neighborhood in Philadelphia. And I went to culinary school in my early 20s. And over all my time enjoying food, my parents raised me going to restaurants and cooking really beautiful meals at home. And in all my time reading my favorite food magazines, I never saw many women who look like me. Mm. But over the past several years, as I've grown in my career and started to expand my community, I've met so many 
incredibly talented black women, chefs and restaurateurs and farmers and food activists and bloggers and bakers and sommeliers and bartenders. The list goes on and on and on. And I just wanted to build a publication that can honor us all and also honor the women whose legacies we're building on. I really appreciate hearing a bit more about your upbringing. You know, origin stories are always really sacred. Um, I love this idea of young Clancy, you know, cooking (laughs) with her family. I'd love to actually deepen into that. What excited you about food when you were young and what were you cooking? If I'm really honest, the thing that excited me most about food when I was young was eating dessert. (laughs) I still have a sweet tooth, but when I was a kid, I had a major sweet tooth. So my whole goal was to eat dinner to get to dessert. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You're like, this is all right, but I'm really just ready for that third course. (laughs) Pretty much. Yeah. And the funny thing is my mom is actually a health nut and has been for a while. So I wasn't raised having sweets as snacks or, you know, we didn't have cookies just to nibble on. It was just, you know, a special dessert here and there, or sometimes there would be ice cream or something. But um, that was my obsession as a child. And also eating out with my parents. My mom's an amazing cook and my dad is also a really good cook, but they really love eating in restaurants. So I grew up, I'm an only child. So it's kind of, and my parents bonded in their relationship over the love of good food. So restaurant going was a major part of my like eating young story, my young life. And I really liked the ritual of going to restaurants. And we were really lucky at a certain point, we moved to Philadelphia. I was around 12 and we started going to this restaurant called Zanzibar Blue. And it was owned by the Bynum brothers, two at the time young black men who owned a couple of restaurants in Philadelphia and Zanzibar Blue was this beautiful kind of French style restaurant that was incredible. And that kind of just set a spark in me in terms of seeing what Black people could do and to see that, oh my gosh, we can have beautiful fine dining establishments and this is incredible. Like their place reminded me, it gave me the same feeling as like early Spike Lee films and just Mm. realizing this is possible. We can build these things. So that was extremely inspiring to me. And I think it was something, I'm not a person who knew straight out the gate what I wanted to do, but that love of food was always there and kind of, I think on the back burner of things that have always resonated with me. Well, and I love that your forthcoming food magazine is celebrating not just Black women and food and wine within the U.S., but globally throughout the diaspora, and that this is really deeply connected to your own upbringing, traveling the world with your family. You know, I have your cooking solo book. Thanks again for gifting that to me now two years ago. Can you believe it? Two years ago? (laughs) time has flown. (laughs) (laughs) But you detail how you took trips with your family and solo because they really prioritized um, travel for you. And so you have this awareness that we are everywhere and we are everywhere contributing so much to cuisine and to restaurant culture. And I really love the way that you talk about going to a restaurant as a ritual. I have to say... That is why I'm extremely particular. So you know this, but I also have a background in the restaurant industry. I worked for 10 years off and on within the restaurant industry. So for me, I need like with the capital N E E D (laughs) to have impeccable service, impeccable food. And (laughs) if I don't get both, then I'm left wondering why, like what is wrong here? (laughs) Exactly. And 
I think because of my overall love for ritual, because, you know, a spiritual life is the life that I live, I infuse and I desire the infusion of intention into everything that I do and everywhere that I go. And so hearing you talk about that is so beautiful. I'd love to hear you talk more about what rituals particularly that you remember enjoying, whether when you were young or more recently in the context of food and wine, whether cooking at home or maybe going out to eat. Well, I feel like I have separate rituals for both, you know, Mm. for cooking at home. My ritual is more centered around if I'm cooking for myself, it's like three sets of rituals. So if I'm cooking for myself, the goal I have is to create a beautiful meal, but it's also usually to kind of calm down in a sense. I cook, I make breakfast for myself, but that's usually something super simple, like oatmeal or fruit or toast, something that's, that I, you know, just need to kind of start my day, something I want to enjoy, but something quick and kind of a little bit likewise for lunch if I'm cooking from home, because a lot of times I have the blessing and privilege of working from home. So if I'm having lunch, I, I want it to be simple, beautiful and healthy, but simple as well, just because I know I might not be able to give it the focus I want because I'm usually working. Mm. But for dinner, especially if I've been out and about, I really like to kind of set a tone. I like lighting to be really good. So I'll light candles. I'll take advantage of my dimmer. I like to have a good playlist on. I like to relax and really get into the process of making the meal because I feel like it's actually a meditation of sorts. It's very cathartic for me. So there's kind of a preparation ritual, I would say, for the actual cooking of the meal, just so I kind of get into the vibe and feel good because I actually like to cook in that I feel like dinner is the meal that I'm most willing to put the most time into. And then if I'm eating by myself, I usually almost always try to eat at my dinner table as opposed to in front of the television or sitting on the sofa or my bed or something. I want to eat at my table. I have an obsession with candelabras. So I have candelabras and I light my candles and I always use proper plates and forks and stuff and bless my food and enjoy my meal. If I'm eating solo, I'll often try to eat without watching television or something. I try to keep it simple with music. But that's my solo eating ritual. And then with friends, it's the same except louder, (laughs) more conversation. (laughs) And of course, I want to like pamper them and give them things as I'm cooking if I'm still cooking when they get to my house. But it's pretty much the same. Really Candles, music. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. It's very similar to mine. Um, I love a good vibe. You know what I mean? <laughs> totally. I um, I have favorite candles. I don't know if you know Alexander Winbush. Yeah. But yeah, I, I put those on if I can. I have my go-to playlist and I have a fireplace. So I'll turn that on just to like have a little like, you know, a little flicker, a little flicker of the flame. <laughs> and it feels love really it. warm and cozy. Like, even though I live in LA, it's winter right now. And so okay. as a Minnesota girl, as a Midwest girl, you know, I I always need to have that kind of cozy vibe, regardless of if it's 60 degrees outside or or 20 in January, I right? <laughs> but I love that you share that there are particular things that you do at home versus when you go out or particular desires that you have for, for both of those spaces. Let's talk about your love for cooking as perhaps connected to the people who came before you. What is the lineage of food cultivation and curation of meals in your family? I feel like it's a pretty rich legacy that I'm building on. I know the most about my family's heritage on my dad's side of the family, simply because I grew up with my grandparents on my dad's side of the family, on my mom's side of the family. I know a little less because her parents passed when my mom was younger. So I never had the privilege of meeting them. But on my dad's side of the family, my family owned farmland and actually still does. So my grandfather 
was an academic, but in his later life, he took over his father's land and became a gentleman farmer. Mm. And so on my dad's side of the family in Georgia, we've been cultivating land for a long time. Peach trees, pecan trees, still some cotton, I think, but in soy, soybeans. And there's always been a great love of cooking. And pretty much everyone in my family is a good cook. So lucky cooking. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) between growing food and cooking, I feel really lucky. I grew up visiting my grandparents and making peach preserves with my grandma and, you know, sometimes picking pecans or at least eating a lot of them. And with also a huge appreciation for Southern food and kind of seeing how food grows and for a brief period of time they had pigs across the street too and so like feeding them a little bit but yeah so it's I have my memories of farm life and you know making food grown on the land is really from my childhood when we lived in Atlanta but I feel very lucky that that's a part of my lineage and in all honesty I feel like it's something I've grown to appreciate as an adult, it's something I kind of took it for granted as a kid, you know, that you could have a family with a whole bunch of fruit trees and pecan trees and you could eat from them and make things and make things from literally your backyard. So that's something I definitely have grown to appreciate, especially now that I live in a city and I don't have a backyard. Right, right. <laughs> so I have a huge appreciation for farmers and people who cultivate land. I love that. I mean, I think most of us Black folk within the United States who have lineage that traces back here for several generations, Mm. food is an essential part of our legacy in one way or another. Producing it, growing it, creating magic out of it. And yeah, I'm wondering for you, like how that plays into your own relationship to spirituality, you know, because it's like energy. It's not just I'm doing this thing to eat and to survive anymore. It's I'm doing this to feel good. I'm doing this maybe to heal, you know, like for me, my grandmother, we have several of her recipes um, Mm -hmm. and I've put my own twist on her sweet potato pie. But every time I make it, nonetheless, I'm always thinking about her and it's a way of honoring and connecting with her. And so it's very deeply spiritual and healing and generative in that way. So how does that, how does that come up for you? How does spirituality relate to your practices with food and the ritual around food? I think it relates in a few ways. First of all, I I mentioned this in my cookbook, Cooking Solo. I have a chapter for entertaining friends and loved ones. And I'm pretty sure I quote from Bishop Desmond Tutu and say that a person is a person through other people. So we all come into being through other people. We need to take care of ourselves, but we are always in community, whether we like it or not. Hopefully we like it. And so I think just as cooking for yourself is nourishing, I think cooking for other people is equally nourishing and important. I feel like that's the greatest act of love or one Mm. of the greatest acts of love is to cook for people. I think of Mm. love as a form of nourishment. And I think the whole point of spirituality to me is love, to be centered in love, to act from love, to feel connected to love. And so I feel like cooking, preparing a meal or eating a meal together in its highest form is an expression of love and connection and community. So I feel like it's a, it's a deeply important act. It's a, you know, sometimes it can be a sacrificial act. Sometimes it can be, you know, an act of celebration, but I feel like it's always an act of connection and love. So that's my view on the spiritual part of it or one part of it. And I also think spiritually, we're all one and we need to take care of each other, you know, to take care of yourself is also to take care of your, your family, your friends, your community. And what better way to do that than cooking for them, making a meal or sharing a meal together. I love that. And I think a lot of people enter 
culinary experiences, <laughs> whether it's in the home or professionally, through the route of joy in cooking for others, right? It's mm. so many, I have so many friends who talk about how like, they get so much more pleasure in cooking for other people than just cooking for themselves. And it just highlights how communal an experience cooking is and eating is and the art that it is, which I know is, is one reason why you want to highlight it more through your phenomenal forthcoming uh, food <laughs> magazine. I wonder, like, do you have a favorite memory that you could highlight around a meaningful food experience that you've had within your own home? Ooh, that's a good one. Okay. Well, in terms of community, I could pull on a family story, but I'm going to pull from an experience I had when I lived in Paris. I went to culinary school there and was lucky enough to live there for four years and also really blessed to find my tribe there. And funnily enough, we connected over music and a love of food. And we would have these brunch parties and dinner parties. And I just remember, fortunately, it was several memories, but I can recall one party in particular where I in invited some friends from culinary school and others of my kind of brunch tribe friend posse over for a dinner party, party, party. And it was just incredible because like one set of friends came, they were students from India. So they made pakora, which is kind of it's kind of like this breaded dumpling thing that's mm. spicy. It's a, mm. it's really delicious. And they were kind enough to make that for me. And I made like, I still sometimes make it. It's a vegetable ca casserole called a tion de legume, which is a series of, uh, you can make it different ways, but I make it with eggplant, tomato, zucchini, and sometimes I'll add goat cheese and you just kind of cut circles of each and you, you vary it so that it's tomato, eggplant, zucchini, tomato, eggplant, zucchini, mm. or if you'd like to add in goat cheese and you kind of make it in this beautiful circle and then you bake it for a long time. And I do like to add the cheese because it gets it all melty and like it's a delicious. process. It yeah, like it's, it's a, a whole process. process. I'm like a 20 minute chef. You know what I mean? You're hilarious. <laughs> you like give it to me fast. <laughs> but I will eat what you create for me for longer. But if you eat my food, it was probably in 20 minutes. But that doesn't mean it's not good. <laughs> no, I feel you. You can have some delicious 20 minute meals. I'm there. Um, but yeah, so just we would come together basically and cook. Beautiful. And so a memory I have is us doing that and just inviting other people over and having some wine and just good conversation and just creating a sense of warmth and fun and, and ease. You know yes. what I mean? Nothing was hard. Nothing took hours and hours. It took a little preparation, but just kind of a laid back festive vibe is my sweet spot. And yeah, just thinking of that party was one of them. And that's kind of the vibe I like to create whenever possible. I love that we just keep on coming back to this idea of creating a vibe because it's, it's yeah. what we do. It's what we do <laughs> it apparently is. as black women. And then when you, you know, intersect food with that, it's just like, that's essential. Like I, I can't have an experience with food that feels cold and distant and bland. Yeah. It has to have some flavor to it in all the ways. Um, I totally agree. Lauren Ash here with a brief note about today's amazing episode sponsor, Green Chef. They are the number one meal kit for eating well, and they're also a certified organic company. I love both those things. Now, I tried Green Chef for the first time last night after coming home from running a few errands. I honestly didn't want to cook from scratch, but I remembered that Green Chef had created something for me. I tried their plant-based flautas for the first time. They were super tasty, a little plant-based quote-unquote meat, not really, um, green onions, 
red pepper tasted really great. The seasonings were akin to what I would create in my own version of that anyway. I love that they make following a plant-based diet super easy and that their packaging is sustainable. They offset 100% of their direct carbon emissions and plastic packaging in every box. So, you know, you can feel good not just about what you're eating, but also how it got to your table. If you're interested in trying Green Chef, guess what? You can go to greenchef.com slash 90blackgirlinohm. If you use code 90blackgirlinohm, you can get $90 off, including free shipping. Again, go to greenchef.com slash 90blackgirlinohm and use code 90blackgirlinohm to get $90 off, including free shipping. Let me know how you like it. So I know that you are really big on staying centered and Mm. preserving energy. And I think when we think about food, I mean, literally food can fuel us or it can create dis-ease, you know, it can motivate us and like energize us or it can like slow us down. So I just love to hear you share more of like your personal best practices for cultivating well-being, particularly as it relates to energy related to how food supports you in doing that or just any practices that you're taking up. Well, I'm a big fan of meditation. That helps me a lot. Yeah. So that is one way that I kind of can center, de-stress, do some deep breathing. Do you feel as though cooking at home is a form of meditation for you as well? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, I was going to say, sometimes I don't, you know, sit on the mat or sit on my floor or whatever and do a guided meditation. Sometimes for me, it is okay, I'm going to be quiet and make this risotto. Just keep stirring. You know what I mean? I'm just going to focus on this present moment and make this particular dish or cut these carrots. It's absolutely a meditation for me. Another thing, I'm actually, I think I'm going to do a little zero sugar detox for a couple of weeks because I feel like that is something I used to do very seriously, like 30 days of no sugar and no wine, no alcoholic beverages. And, um, the no sugar thing definitely helps me. Mm. So I think I'm going to do a little detox. I think we all need that. (laughs) Right. It's, I, I, you know, I'm trained as a pastry chef. So in, in some ways it like hurts me to say that, (laughs) but I, I have seen the benefits of doing a sugar detox and it is like you are given, I don't want to say a shot of adrenaline, but the energy capacity just goes up. It's incredible. Yeah. I've done it before and felt incredible. And then almost upset that I felt incredible because it's like, oh, but I like cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Will I ever have them again? Because this feels so good to be without sugar. After what day on the sugar detox do you start to feel good? Because I know you go through withdrawal and cravings first. Yes. Okay. So I think real talk, I think it's day seven or day 10. Oh, wow. So you got to really stick to it. <laughs> yeah. It. But it also depends. Like, I don't do it as much now, but there have been periods in my life when cookies have been a major snack for me, like my actual go-to in between meals snack, like not nuts, not an apple, but cookies. And so during those periods, it was really hard to go off of sugar because it's like, well, now I can't have my snack, Mm, but um, mm -hmm. I kind of have trained myself to use fruit as a snack so that I'm not relying on like things that are essentially meant to be special occasion treats like cake or cookies. But yeah, I would say it takes, depending upon how much sugar you ingest normally, I would say it takes seven to 10 days to feel okay about skipping sugar. Wow. Okay. Note to self. <laughs> I know. It's, a, it's like a, you have to be mentally in the space of, okay, I can do this. Yeah. I mean, that's the interesting thing about food in general, right? Like so much of what we either take in or abstain from, it's, it's about that mental relationship to it. Yeah, absolutely. I know I have, I have a celebration this upcoming weekend, but after the celebration, I think I really am going to do at least two weeks without sugar. And I know I'm going to feel great about it. 
Okay, well, hit me up when you start. I may or may not join you. I'm not making any promises. <laughs> Don't promise, girl. I'm, you see, I'm kind of hesitant about <laughs> stating my commitment. I'm going to make it two weeks because I feel like two weeks is doable. 30 days is a whole different matter. Well, I think we're inspiring some people. So anyone listening, if you also joined Clancy, please at her and at Black Girl and Ohm and let us know on the gram and on Twitter if you are <laughs> giving it a go. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about cooking solo, because that is yeah. what your book that you authored a couple years back was centered on. You know, currently your girl is single and um, actively manifesting her life partner. But yes. that said, I am enjoying cooking for myself more than ever before. I think it's, again, something about like, you know, still being new to L.A., still being new to living by myself for the first time in a while. Um, mm. And I got some nice, I mean, all from TJ Maxx, because I love TJ Maxx, but really nice cookware and bakeware. So there's nice. something to be said for like investing in things that you actually enjoy to like look at while you're interacting and handling with food, right? So I just, I don't even know. I just really enjoy all meals of the day, you know, um, typically in the morning, I'll make myself a really good juice or a smoothie for lunch. I'm a sauteer all day. I'll just saute nice. some vegetables, put it over a grain and call it a day. And yes. then for dinner, I'll usually do the same, but just a remix on what I had for lunch. And all of my cookbooks that are my go-tos are from black women. So yours, Love. Janae Aww. Claiborne, Sweet Potato Soul, Aww. who we've had on the show a couple times. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah, uh, Koya Webb, who, you know, she's definitely primarily known as a yoga teacher now, but she has been a chef in her past life. So I make most of my recipes from Black women, quite honestly. And I that brings it. me a lot of joy. Oh. Mm -hmm. oh, you bring me joy just saying that. Oh, my <laughs> gosh, that's so beautiful. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about cooking solo. Why is this such a powerful and enjoyable and even healing act and like how have you seen it you know transform your own life i feel like cooking solo is one of the most powerful aspects of self-love and self-care i remember when i was working on my cookbook and i would tell people what i was working on this was while i was working on a manuscript and some people would light up and some people would say oh my gosh oh, that's so sad, or like, I don't get it. And they would also say something along the lines of, but why would I even bother to cook for myself? Mm. And I always just, that response always perplexed me because I feel like most people, if they were going to have people over to their homes, would want to extend themselves and offer as much warmth and hospitality and generosity as possible in, in food and wine and all this. And I feel like we are each individually worthy of that same generosity we would give to others. We are worthy of that, you know? Mm -hmm. We are worthy of a good meal. So why wouldn't you want to make yourself a good meal? Why wouldn't you want to learn if you don't know how to cook? Why wouldn't you, as an adult especially, why wouldn't you want to learn that skill because yes. it really is an excellent skill and yeah why wouldn't you want to get really good at it because you deserve really good things so i yes. feel like cooking and cooking solo the best parts are that a you don't have to answer to anybody you know when you come home and you're craving something you can make that thing you're craving yeah that is fine whatever it is you're craving you don't have to have any guilt about it it's you it's your body you make what you want so I feel like it's very freeing, you know, when you invite people over or sometimes when you go out to dinner and you have to be mindful of other people's food allergies and stuff like that, you have to cater to somebody else. When you're cooking solo, you're catering to you. There is utter freedom. Yes. So I feel like that is amazing. And it can range from, you know, recently I've been trying to experiment more with eating plant-based meals. I'm not a total That's vegan. me. Yay. Nice. <laughs> oh, I'm not a total vegan either. I like my fish and I like my seafood. 
Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Same. I definitely don't claim veganhood, but it's something that I don't <laughs> necessarily want to impose on my friends because I have a lot of friends who aren't totally plant-based at all. So yes. it's something that I kind of almost get to indulge in by myself and I right. can kind of experiment. And that's the other thing that's great about cooking solo. It's a great opportunity to experiment on yourself yes. before you share with other people. So whether yes. it's your boo or whether it's a group of friends, it's like, let me perfect it on me. Yes. And then I can share. <laughs> I love that. I'm about to be sharing a lot for the next month because my mother is coming to stay with me for a month. And let me tell you, we have extremely different diets. And yeah, you know, she's still in the Midwest. So, you know, Midwest diet, meat and potatoes kind of vibe, like very little vegetables. Shout out to you, mom. I know you're listening. I still love you. (laughs) But we go go into the plant-based lifestyle a little bit more. <laughs> love to mom always. Yes, love mom. always yeah. love. Um, but it makes me excited because she loves my food, you know? Like, she's been texting Aww. me like, I can't wait to eat more of that one dish that you made me. And I'm like, from two and a half years ago, you still think about that dish? Aww, that's so sweet. <laughs> yeah, but it's only because I've prioritized cooking for myself and loved what I've been making and made improvements and realized how I can make it even more succulent that I can then share that with my loved ones, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's fun. Like you get, when you get good at something, it's fun to even perfect it more. And then it's also fun to kind of give yourself a goal like, okay, what if I made a three course plant-based meal? Is it even possible for me? (laughs) You know? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Oh, I'm excited for you cooking for your mom. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm really, really looking forward to it. And I will be sending you some photos of us eating at the house. (laughs) Yes, please. Yes, please. (laughs) So let's get back to your project for the culture. Mm -hmm. I know that you have probably already established some really dynamic relationships with Black women around the world that you're already looking forward to spotlighting through your magazine. What does it look like to build this network of Black women chefs and farmers and writers and all the things around the world? Well, I think part of it is just being a curious person and seeking community in the food world. So none of this has been overnight by a long stretch. So there are Black women who I've met when I was in culinary school. One of my dear friends who I wasn't in culinary school with, but who was in Paris at the same time as me, Jackie is from Jamaica and an amazing recipe developer and chef and food stylist and has created this incredible food community. And speaking of plant-based, she is kind of a founder of the Meatless Monday movement in Jamaica. Amazing. Um, Yeah. So she, in her own right, is a total tastemaker and community builder around food in Jamaica. So she's a person and people I've met through her are people who I would like to highlight. And then I'm lucky to be in New York City where there are incredible chefs and food writers and sommeliers and so on and so forth, who I've just over the course of years of going to food conferences and, you know, different food media events have met and then just fortunately been able to build community with and become friends with. There's a great group that recently started up called Black Folks and Food. And it's a great event because it literally allows you to show up at a business, a Black-owned business, and eat a whole bunch of different foods created by different chefs, drink beverages by, it could be a beer brewer or, you know, a sommelier who's featuring like a wine that they're super proud of. And we all get to meet each other and network. So I feel like I've gotten to meet a lot of people just by being out and about and just by being curious, like Tarangia, you know, like going and meeting Fola. That's like, oh my gosh, look at who's behind this amazing place. So a lot of times it's just like being adventurous and being really into food and seeing that oh my gosh, this amazing meal that I'm having, it's cooked by a black woman or it's at an establishment that is 
owned by a black woman. Over the summer, I went sailing with a friend of mine in the south of France. Mm. There were not a ton of black people. Um, but surprise. For our, <laughs> for our last meal before we headed up to Paris, mm-hmm. my friend was like, I really want to take you to this place. I don't remember the name of it, but it was a Michelin starred restaurant. They were like, it's our favorite place. Uh, my friend and his partner. And so we go there, we have this extraordinary meal and who is the chef? A black woman. From yes. Guadalupe. That's what and I'm talking I'm like, about. I love you. This is, <laughs> and I, you know, I was just like, you can't make this up. We yes. are literally everywhere. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really amazed by all that we do. One of the really wonderful supporters of For the Culture is an incredible chef, Yawanda Komolafe. She did this incredible, she has a dinner series, and it's devoted to telling immigrant stories. It's kind of like devoted to sharing stories and using food as the vehicle for the narrative. And she had a wonderful fundraising dinner for one of her series for Mm -hmm. For the Culture. Mm -hmm. And the chef was a Black woman who's Ghanaian and from London. And so she did this incredible meal and Yawande is Nigerian. So there's so many people like you mentioned in the beginning throughout the diaspora who are so talented and doing so many things. And I just feel like we know we're doing these things, but I feel like we deserve even more of a spotlight. And so the idea is to give more black women the spotlight because Black women really are the architects of cuisines throughout the world. Yes, yes. And many, many things I love. I love all of this. Can I travel with you to these places? Oh, my God. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, to eating and traveling together. (laughs) Yes, that's like my favorite thing. Like both of those things together, that's my my why in this life. (laughs) Same. Same. (laughs) Oh my God. Beautiful. Well, what advice would you give to those of us who Mm. are like, you know what? Me and the kitchen aren't really friends. I'm inspired by this whole conversation, but like I'm someone who eats the food, not makes the mood, you know, like there's so many people out there. That was me probably even three years ago. I think it was about three years ago that I started getting more into cooking for myself and others. Um, Mm -hmm. I just didn't think that I was good at it. And I thought that it was an inherent skill essentially. Right. So what would you offer to those who are, who are there? Well, first of all, in general, I have to tell you something I'm growing to appreciate more. And that is the idea of appreciating yourself exactly where you are. Like having the idea and the notion and the belief that you are fine exactly as you are. You're great. So if where you are right now (laughs) is not super into cooking, I say that's okay. Guess what? Food businesses need your business. So that is one piece of advice that, you know, just be really mindful of who you support and hopefully support black women and support people of color and support immigrants who are food business owners. So that's one piece. We work in a world where we have an economy and businesses, small businesses need your money. So support those food businesses. I would also say, even though you're great, just as you are, um, (laughs) (laughs) that maybe like, if it's a goal for you to cook more for yourself, I would say, just try once a week, try one meal, baby steps, one dish, Think of one thing that you would like to learn how to make and start there. Maybe buy one cookbook. You know, it could be cooking solo. It could be another cookbook. It could be (laughs) any number of cookbooks, but buy a cookbook or go to your library and check out a cookbook that resonates with you and just kind of spend time with it. Flip through the pages, see if there's something that resonates with you and try that recipe Also, another fun thing to do if you're booed up or if you're looking for a boo, take a cooking class. I highly recommend if you have the means to take a cooking class or better yet, if you have a friend who knows how to cook, ask if you can spend time in their kitchen. That's how I learned. 
That's how I learned. Yeah. Cookies, I should say cooking with my friends who can cook really well. And I did take some cooking classes and I love cooking classes because they prepare Usually they prepare the ingredients for you so you don't have to chop everything and, you know, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. So Mm -hmm. I would say take baby steps, be patient with yourself because, and in all honesty, I cook all the time, but sometimes I don't feel like cooking either. There are days when I've been running all around or when I'm coming down from travel, when I truly do not feel like doing a thing in the kitchen. And those are the days when I go to a restaurant and I think, okay, where can I support a business or how can I treat myself Yes, or allow somebody else to treat me, you know, like, but yeah, I say, take baby steps, hang out with your friends who cook a lot, get a cookbook and also, yeah, support black owned businesses, black women owned. Yeah. And it's easier to do that last part even more than before to support because a simple Google search away and you can find all the black woman owned restaurants in your city or the city that you're traveling to. And that is something that has been my joy. I mean, in addition to Taranja, my favorite in um, New York City and Brooklyn in particular is Greedy Vegan. Have you been there? I haven't. I need to go. So the owner, she is just a light. Um, The Black Girl Gnome team and I go there often when I'm in the city. And she is always back there with her team cooking up the most amazing, like, savory, like, grits and sausage. But it's all vegan, right? And it's just unbelievable. And she opened up a second larger location that I haven't yet been to. But early this new year, I'm about to be in there going in, okay? (laughs) I love it. Groovy vegan. Greedy vegan with an I. Greedy, greedy vegan. Yep. I'm into it. I'm and into then, it. And then there's that staple. I know of the black woman who owns a few vegan restaurants. I'm hoping that you know the one that I'm talking about because I'm forgetting the name of it. I think I know what you're talking about and I am also forgetting the name of it. But yeah, you're right. We have options and we have great options. Yes. That. Yes. Yeah. Do you have a favorite in New York City that's black woman owned? Taranja is one of my faves. For sure. And then I have a lot of baker friends. Like I mentioned, I have a sweet tooth. Um, Brutus Bake Shop, owned by my friend Lonnie Holiday, is amazing. I sometimes try to do gluten-free baked things. Mm -hmm. And her baked goods are astoundingly good. Mm. Um, Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. Well, here in LA, I got to shout out my favorites. I love Stuff I Eat, which is the most hilarious name ever, I think. <laughs> but super casual. It was also featured in, I think, the first season of Insecure, which is a fun fact. It's in Inglewood. Cute. So, you know, you like around your people as well as eating while you're there. Yes. Um, yes. And then Asla Vegan, which is Ethiopian. And it's Ooh. also delicious. So... Those Love. places are just mouthwatering. See, now I'm hungry. Why did <laughs> we decide to have this conversation? I was going to say I haven't eaten, but I definitely ate right before this conversation. So I'm just hungry again. Hilarious. <laughs> Time for a snack. <laughs> <laughs> the cookies. Where are the cookies at? I know what snack exactly. you want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the cookies. Oh, my goodness. Pretty much. <laughs> well, yeah, and I hope that everyone listening to you should add us and let let us know your favorites and the ones that you want to amplify because to your point, we have an economy and we yes. should be putting our money where our values are, you know, this decade. Absolutely. Um, do you have anything you want to leave our listeners with? Anything at all about food, about community, about your project, about this new year, new decade? Well, definitely support. And check out For the Culture magazine. It will be, at the moment, at this precise moment, the best way to get updates is through my Instagram, Clancy Cooks. Mm. And I want to encourage people to love themselves through food and each other. We can often feel powerless and overwhelmed with all that's taking place near and far in the world. And I think community in times like these and at all times is especially important and we need to nurture each other and nurturing each other through food can really be helpful and loving. And we, we need that right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to not underestimate that power. 
That's beautiful. Absolutely. Yeah. I almost forgot For the Culture is a biannual printed food magazine. And in addition to celebrating Black women in food and wine, all of the stories in For the Culture will be about Black women throughout the diaspora, and they'll be written by Black women, photographed and illustrated by Black women. So this is definitely going to be the first magazine of its kind. Phenomenal. We need you. We see you. We stand in awe of you. Yes. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, how can people stay in touch with you and support your projects, which we all can't wait for? Yay. So the best way to stay in touch with me is either through my website, clancymiller.com, K-L-A-N-C-Y-M-I-L-L-E-R.com. And also always through Instagram at Clancy Cooks, K-L-A-N-C-Y Cooks, C-O-O-K-S. Yeah. Instagram is the best. (laughs) Beautiful. I'm so grateful for this conversation. I'm so hungry because of this conversation. (laughs) (laughs) And we're celebrating you. We're just in awe of this amazing project and we can't wait to see it continue to flourish throughout however long you want to cultivate this. I mean, this could be the new thing for us, by us. So thank you so much for for taking it up as a charge. I hope so. Well, thank you. I'm excited for all that you do and I'm so grateful to be here and I want to cook and eat with you. Yes. (laughs) Come through LA. Otherwise I'll be back in New York city very, very soon. So we'll talk and I can't wait to. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. All right. Thanks so much, Clancy. Thank you. I affirm that you discover this conversation in divine time and that you'll activate any of the insights that resonated with you powerfully moving forward. Now, at Black Girl and Home, we're all about gratitude. So special thanks to our audio engineer, India Jordan, for adding your magic. Khalid B for your original music. Valerie Titus Glover and Rosalind Davis for your support in the production of this episode. And thank you, yes you, <laughs> for listening to the show. Y'all, Black Girl and Home is here for you. We're actively rewriting the narrative of what well-being looks like to ourselves and in our communities. To get more involved and to learn more about us, head to blackgirlandohm.com and join our newsletter while you're at it. If you do, you'll get an exclusive and free download of a meditation led by yours truly for Black women and girls everywhere. Are you also deepening into your journey of wholeness and healing with us on social? Follow us at Black Girl and Ohm on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. What we're about here is real sustained impact. If you're influenced by something that you heard on our podcast and want to support, you can make a contribution today by heading to blackgirlinohm.com slash support. All right, y'all, breathe easy.